Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Zach Anderson, and I'm proud to serve as the Director of Connecting Ministries here at Covenant. Uh, Jason Burnham, the pastor, is with our mission team in Iowa, Marshalltown, Iowa, doing disaster relief, and so our prayers are with them uh, this week and today. Uh, this morning, we will be reading uh, from the book of Luke, chapter 18. Uh, if you would like to follow along in your Bible or on the screen, uh, or just listen, all are great. Um, and so this morning, uh, we'll be concluding our series in, uh, called Parables from the book of Luke, with Luke 18, uh, verses 1 through 8. Let's read the Word of God together. And he told them, that's Jesus, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Jesus said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, We love you, we worship you. Uh, let this morning truly be about that. Be about your glory, your worship. Uh, please uh, cast aside, help us to cast aside any distractions, any worries, uh, and let us just focus on you and have open hearts uh, to hear what you want us to learn, God. Speak to us now. It's in your name that we gather and pray, Jesus. Amen. Uh, so, here in Luke 18, uh, if you read this, kind of on the surface, uh, reading it by itself, it's kind of one of those stories where uh, God says, there is this, uh, this person, and if you ask this person for something, um, and you bother them enough, they'll give it to you. And so, if this person will give you what you ask for, then how much more will God in heaven give you what you ask? Um, but there's really a lot more to this story, a lot more depth that you can find in the context uh, by bringing in chapter 17. The first word of, of chapter 18 is the word and. And so anytime you see that word, it means it's connecting two different parts of the same story. Uh, so we need to get a full grasp of this. We have to go back to chapter 17. And uh, what's going on here is Jesus has been uh, walking and, and talking with a, a crowd of people, including uh, bystanders, including Pharisees, and including his disciples. And then in verse 22, which is going to be on the screen, he turns to his disciples, and it says this. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. 
And so Jesus goes on uh, to talk about what it will be like uh, when he is no longer physically with his disciples. And he paints a picture that is, uh, it, it can be frightening to be without Jesus. Um, he says later on that, that, uh, that he will be coming back, um, but in that day when he comes back, there's going to be uh, sin like in the days of Noah and like in the days of Lot with Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, and, I, and I'll tell you that that sin doesn't just happen overnight in the moment when he comes back, but it's a gradual process and it speaks to this time that's in between when he's here with us, with his disciples, and when he's coming back, there's going to be wickedness. Uh, and, and he talks about how different people are going to say, uh, look, here comes the kingdom of God. It's coming over here. Uh, come, and, come and see. Or look, look over there. Here comes the Son of Man. And Jesus, in verse 24, says, no, it's not going to be like that. Uh, For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. And so he says it's not going to be the type of thing where uh, someone says, hey, I've seen him. Come on and come see with me. Uh, he says, when I come back, you're going to know. Um, if you've ever been in a, in a thunderstorm and it's dark out, it's pitch black, uh, and then all of a sudden lightning flashes and it lights up the entire sky, and you can see everything as clear as day. When Jesus comes back, that's what it'll be like. And so Jesus describes these three time periods, right, where he's with us, he's not, and then when he's coming back. And so this in-between space that he describes is where we all live today. All of us are in this in-between time where we're waiting for the return of our Lord and Savior. And so inserted into his description of this in-between time, Jesus recognizes that this in-between time is going to have a very real chance of causing his believers to lose hope, to lose heart. And so acknowledging that, he tells this parable to the effect or for the purpose that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And so in this parable, um, that is, it's for us. We are in this in-between space that he's talking about. Uh, there are a few characters involved. Uh, we have the widow, who is persistent. Uh, we have an adversary who is working injustice and attacking her. And we have the judge. Um, and so the widow in the story, I think it's pretty clear that it's us. Um, we are uh, representative, represented by this widow. Um, the judge is a placeholder in the story for God. Obviously, God is much uh, higher than this judge, and he is righteous where this judge is unrighteous uh, and unjust. But he is the higher authority in the story. Um, and so that leaves one last character, which is the adversary. Uh, and so who is our adversary? I'm going to tell you that our adversary is not um, some enemy that you have made in your life. Uh, it's not someone who has, has cheated you out of a bunch of money. Um, it's not someone who, you know, in, in, uh, in sixth grade, you and this other person had a crush on the same person, and then uh, they knew you kind of had first rights, but then they went and talked to that person anyways. Uh, that's not your adversary. 
your adversary is the devil. Uh, and I want to make note that the word adversary is stronger than just enemy. Uh, an adversary is someone who everything within them is against you. Okay? They want to do anything that they can, anything possible, to cause you to fail. And so that's the devil. Uh, the devil is represented in this story by the adversary. Um, and so there's a lot of names. There's, I think sometimes in our world there's some mysticism surrounding who Satan is. Uh, there's a lot of names that he goes by. Lucifer, uh, the devil, the adversary, the serpent. Um, but I don't want us to get lost in that mystery um, because the Bible is very clear that, that Satan, one, has already lost the battle. Um, Jesus defeated him ultimately uh, by dying on the cross, being in the grave, and raising from the grave. Uh, and so Satan cannot touch God. Um, but I think Jesus does a great job uh, of everything he does. But uh, <laughs> of describing the devil in this parable with just the one word, adversary. Uh, the devil is simply that. He is someone who is against you. And so... God um, provides us with a way to have hope when we're in this in-between space and we're being attacked by an adversary that we can pray and not lose heart that God will grant us justice. Okay, that's what this widow is seeking, justice from her adversary. And so what does it look like for us to get justice from our adversary, the devil? And I want to make the postulation that justice from our adversary uh, will look different for each individual person. Um, there is one way that it is the same, and, and all the other ways I think it's going to look different. Um, sometimes you will get justice against the person who cheated you out of, out of money, uh, and, and you'll get it back, and, and they might go to prison or, or be forced to, to repay you, uh, but sometimes you won't. But even so, we will still be granted justice against our adversary. And so the one thing that I'm willing to promise you is a way that you will get justice uh, is ultimate justice. You see, Satan can't touch God, uh, and God is going to bring all of his believers back to himself. And when he takes you... Uh, you will have ultimate justice against your adversary because he cannot be your enemy any longer. He can't touch you. So January uh, 2015, I get this phone call. And I'll never forget this call. Uh, my best friend David, who's sitting right there, everybody embarrass him. Uh, he hates this. <laughs> he calls me, and, um, and he's like, dude, uh, I have this great idea. We should run an Ironman together. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know everything that was involved in an Ironman, but I knew that it was ridiculous, and so I said, uh, no thanks. <laughs> Call me back when you're thinking more clearly sometime. Um, you must be out of your mind. And, uh, you know, what did you have for breakfast? Um, 
And, uh, and so, finished the conversation, and, and he continues to uh, pester me day after day with phone calls and text messages. Dude, we have to run this race. I'm like, okay, well, tell me more about this race. And uh, I was like, how far is it? And he was like, it's 140.6 miles. And I was like, how, <laughs> what did you say? And he said, it's 140.6 miles. And uh, don't forget the point six. It's like a, a kid who's three and a half. Okay, they're not just three. This is not a 140-mile race. It's 140.6, and that last point six is hard. Um, and so uh, that answer confirmed what I suspected, which is that there's no way in the world I wanted to run this race. Uh, but David, not unlike the persistent widow, actually... Um, Continued to pester me uh, until he wore me down, and I said, fine, we'll do this race, but here's the rules. We're training, we're going to have a training program that we'll follow religiously. We're going to be on a diet, and we will not get girlfriends during this, because we have to be 100% focused <laughs> on this race. And... Um, and so we signed up for a race in August in Boulder, Colorado, and this is January, and we start training. And uh, we start hitting it really hard, and uh, we hit it really hard until about June. And then uh, me, being the rule follower that I am, of course I didn't break my own rule, except I did. Uh, I met a girl named Kelsey, uh, who is wonderful, beautiful, godly, woman, and, uh, and I really liked her, and all of a sudden, my training went, and so we started dating, and, uh, and David says he remembers one day being like, wait a second, I haven't seen Zach in like three weeks, uh, and we were training every single day together, what's going on, and, um, and so that went along till maybe like a week before the race, and I was like, uh, wait a second, I've got this race in a week. Um, so we went on a 15-mile run together, and a, a, I did a long swim and a medium bike ride, and it's like, okay, here we go. Um, so I drive up to Boulder, and uh, they, the race, race day comes, and they blow the gun, start swimming, and uh, you want to talk about an all-out melee? Uh, if you've never done an open water swim, they released like 3,000 people into a 30-yard wide entrance of this lake, and, uh, and you're getting kicked in the face, your goggles are getting ripped off, people are clawing across your back. Uh, this is a war. And so I just kind of dog paddled until everything spread out and started swimming. And, um, and so there's altitude in Boulder, and it was challenging. Um, because swimming, you don't really get to breathe much. And, uh, and so s this swim was like the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. And I finish and realize, after I just finished the hardest thing I've ever done, all I have left to do is travel 138 more miles. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we hop on bikes, and, um, and I'm going... 
And the first uh, 40 miles was this one loop, uh, which you then repeated a uh, second time for a total of 80. And another thing about Boulder besides altitude is they have these big, scary things called mountains. <laughs> and around here, if you've ever been outside in Texas, you might notice no mountains. Um, so whatever little training I did do did not prepare me uh, for these hilly uh, routes on the bike. Um, but so I finished the first 40, and, and I know that the second 40 is the same thing, and so it's nothing unexpected. I can do this. The good thing about mountains is there's a rule. After every uphill comes a downhill, and you get to relax for a minute. So I finish 80 miles, and I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, I've got 80 miles under my belt, uh, well over halfway. Um, I'm feeling, at this point, much more confident than at the beginning of the race that I'll be able to finish. And so the last 32 miles of this bike ride were on a different, uh, different loop than the first 80. And so start going, and very quickly into this loop, um, we come to a hill that is much steeper than any of the other hills that I've encountered so far. Um, and I start pedaling. And my pedaling is just getting slower and slower getting easier and easier on the gears, still slower and slower. And uh, finally, I think I'm going about half a mile per hour maybe and could have easily walked much faster than I was biking. But this is the bike portion of the race, so I'm going to bike it. And uh, I get to the top of this hill, finally, uh, and the law of hills has lied to me. There is no downhill on the other side of this thing. Uh, there's a slight grade... Um, and then a plateau, which is a new rule that I learned about mountains. Uh, but all of this is adding to my own mental state of, am I going to finish this race? And so I go along after this hill, and I turn right directly into a ferocious headwind. And if you've ever been biking in the face of a headwind, you'll know that it is much worse than any mountain because you cannot see the top. Uh, this wind is invisible, and it blows at you with everything it has. Everything it has is against you making forward progress, and you can't see the end. There's no end in sight. Um, and so I'm trudging along, and in my mind, I am beginning to give ground on my confidence that I can finish this race. And I keep pedaling, and my muscles are getting weaker and weaker. And finally, I get to a place where I just have to stop. And I pull off the side of the road, and I lean my bike against the pole, and I go off to go to the bathroom and... and uh, I'm standing off the side of the road, and I just pray. And I say, God, I need something. Give me something to help me finish this race. And in that moment, uh, I was actually hoping that God would turn the winds around and have it blow me forward, just put up a little sail or something. But uh, 
God did not do that, um, but he did remind me that in my back jersey pocket I had two electrolyte capsules. And I had used these before and felt the energy boost that they would give. And so I had a mental reaction of an uplifting of my soul, my confidence that I can finish this race. And it even, I hadn't taken them yet, but I even had a physical reaction. My muscles rejuvenated just at the thought of this boost that I felt like God was sending me. So I kind of like jogged back over to my bike. And uh, what I saw was the worst thing that I'd ever seen. Uh, This wind that was so ferociously driving me back had blown over my bike. And I walked up to my bike just as the last drop of water splashed onto the ground out of my overturned water bottle. All of the energy that I had gained, all of the confidence, all of the hope, left me. My heart sank into my stomach, and I felt an aching hole and a loss of hope that I could finish. So I was in this middle space between the beginning and the end of this race, And there was an adversary that was attacking me, and I was losing heart. And so, some of you who know me know that I'm a perpetual optimist, and through that and willpower, I just managed to get back on the bike. I guess I decided it was just as far back that way as it would be that way, so I get back on the bike, and I go into this headwind. And while I am waging war against this wind, I realize what it means to have an adversary. And I realize what it means to hate something more than anything else in the world. And in that moment, I realized that the thing I hated more than anything else in the world was David. (laughs) Just kidding, I love you, David. Uh, the thing I hated more than anything else in the world was this wind that was pushing me back, and it was against me. It was an injustice. I should not be faced with mountains and wind. And, uh, and so to finish the story, um, kept going. Very shortly after that, uh, as I was biking and praying, I came around a corner, and there was a way station. I got water. I got Gatorade. I got Cliff Bars. Uh, I took my electrolytes and... Uh, rejuvenated, crossed the finish line of the bike ride, and, uh, and then all I had to do after that was run a marathon. <laughs> um, so Dave and I hooked up, and we, we, we ran the whole marathon together and finished together. Um, it was an awesome experience. So Jesus ends this parable and connects it to the setting beforehand by saying, even though God will give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And I think that in this moment, Jesus, in his humanity, didn't know. Jesus is recognizing for all of us that this in-between space in which we live where we're 
looking for Jesus and we don't see him here physically and we're being attacked by an adversary, there is a real possibility that our faith, our hope, can be shaken. And so, how do we resist the adversary? Well, in the story, we're given the example of the widow who is most aptly described as being two things. She is persistent, and she keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps asking, and she has faith. She's persistent, and she has faith. And she has faith, it's proven, it's evidenced in that she continues to ask this higher power that even though he says no, she believes that he can and will give her justice against her adversary. And so for you and I, who are today still in this in-between space, we need to be a people that is most aptly described as being persistent in prayer and as having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Being persistent in prayer and having faith in the return and the faithfulness and the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ.